Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast and part two of David answering listeners' questions. David, we were talking about Congress when we left off. Staying with that topic, we had several questions concerning the presidential campaign and what we might expect from the next Congress regarding policy reform. Thank you. So I, I, I did note there likely will be, particularly if Biden is elected, a, a major tax bill, and I'll have to do that early. Uh, the mm-hmm. window gets uh, reduced uh, over time, so you want to do it in the first Congress for the midterm, well before the midterms, if possible. Right. Uh, so I would say, you know, obviously if the incumbent Trump uh, is reelected, and this may sound a little uh, excessive, but the incumbent certainly intends, if you look at the evidence, to uh, continue to uh, destroy the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at nothing else but what they've done relative to environmental protections, uh, over a hundred regulations they're unwinding. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is a serious problem, uh, at least, and of course, if you throw in the fact he intends, if he gets reelected, he can formally withdraw the day after the election from Paris. So November 4th. And obviously he will do that. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is Paris, what they agreed to is already insufficient. Regardless, it would be helpful. Um, and he's promised that I do encourage, and I did make note of this. I do encourage the, um, listeners to read, uh, particularly the dissent in the Juliana versus the U.S. decision, which was the Ninth Circuit. Uh, that was in January because it, it is actually chilling if you read, and I'll, I'll look for it here. If you read the, again, the dissent opinion where, uh, Justice, uh, Stanton, and I'm quoting, uh, the government accepts the fact that the United States has reached a tipping point crying out for a considered response, tipping point relative to runaway global warming, yet presses ahead toward calamity, close quote, by recognizing, quote, the government has the absolute and unreviewable power to destroy the nation. What's really amazing about this, and that is actually, that is not inaccurate. Um, if you look at the Congress's response, they were non-pulsed, none at all. Hmm. And um, so we'll see there'll be no relief from uh, the incumbent if reelected, particularly on the issue that no pun trumps all others, again, the uh, climate catastrophe. I would encourage listeners to read, uh, again, I noted the Biden campaign has 33 bold ideas. So these are 33 subjects uh, the Biden campaign addresses. Interestingly enough, there is no separate policy. There's no policy on the environment. He does have a policy statement on, he terms, the climate change. Um, and you should read it because I certainly found it uh, lacking. Although certainly the D's are more, much more, um, they don't deny the science at least. And let's hope that at minimum that we can have at least a vote on one floor or both relative to a carbon tax, which might not be uh, enough or sufficient or adequate. In fact, we're getting to the point if we're not already there where nothing's going to be other than what's called NET, negative emissions technology, which doesn't exist off the blackboard. Um, As for the Congress, other than the tax bill and stabilizing the Medicare program, there is, particularly the Biden campaign, there's a lot of um, interest appropriately to try to improve provisions of the Affordable Care Act. Hopefully the courts won't completely 
find invalid the ACA or what's left of it in this Texas versus the U.S. case, which should come out after the election decision thereof. Um, the other issue that the Congress will, will have to wrestle with, or we hope will wrestle with, which is the issue that the, uh, the former president, which of course the Democrat candidate uh, likes to evoke, or his administration re- repeatedly, and that is um, income inequality. So um, per my notes, uh, the priority that led the Obama administration's list was economic inequality, what the president termed, quote-unquote, the defining challenge of our time. It is, it is why he said he ran for office. And if you look at uh, economic inequality, it is were the worst or have the highest per the G7 countries. If you look at OECD countries, we're near the bottom uh, relative to the Gini coefficient. Um, and this creates all sorts of um, ill health effects or, or health inequities. I did reference, or I hope I did, I highly um, recommend listeners read the Case and Deaton. They're the Princeton economist couple, recent book, Deaths of Despair, and work your way through it, and that lays out the effects that economic inequality has on population health, particularly mortality. They note what's interesting is that Emil Durkheim drew the same conclusion in 1897 relative to what he termed anomic suicides. So I think it's nothing new. This has been going on for a long time, but it's more perverse now because we have a greater population. So mm-hmm. they calculate it's an estimate of 100,000 excess deaths a year. And part of this uh, is largely due to stagnant wages since 1980, the result of ever-increasing health care premiums, and so, um, which, of course, uh, low-wage workers, uh, that cost is imposed on them. So the cost is imposed on these workers in affording the most expensive health care industry in the world. The, the, the cruelest of ironies here is that we have the worst health care uh, in the rich world, particularly if you look at just waste, since, again, we don't know uh, the extent price reflects value. We waste probably a trillion dollars a year. Wow. Um, and think about that. If we spent as much as Switzerland, which is second in per capita, we would save a trillion dollars a year and a trillion dollars a year is about $8,000 per household. So that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But, um, the worst healthcare, uh, in the rich world, uh, but the, the, the cruel irony is it's not, uh, despite of what we spend. It's, um, because of what we spend. And because we spend so much, this is impoverishing low wage workers. The proxy is people who don't have a BA or an undergrad degree. Uh-huh. We impoverish them. That causes all sorts of health perverse health effects, least of which, of course, and you can guess the three, alcohol-induced uh, liver disease, um, drug overdoses, and suicides. But if you look at all cause of deaths for this population, um, death rates are up. Or mortality rates are up. So it's not as if, yeah, it's just suicide. It's everything. It's heart disease. It's stroke, uh, hypertension. It's, they're just in poor, bad uh, health, and it's difficult to argue that's not correlated to their economic plight. Okay, and is that a lowered life expectancy? Are we? Yes. Yeah, so, for example, if you look at the data, it's upwards of fifteen years. So, the top 
1% of income earners on average outlive the bottom 1% income earners by about 15 years. Oh, wow. Uh, what's even worse, <laughs> and not, not funny, yeah. though it's even worse, income statistics or uh, the disparity in income is significant. Wealth statistics are actually worse. Uh, so, for example, the wealthiest 10% of households own 84% of all stocks, and the mm. bottom 50% hold none. Right. What's interesting is um, there's been a lot of discussion to the credit of the French economist Thomas Piketty, has uh, two books where he discusses uh, this issue at length, what he terms hypercapitalism. I suggest listeners uh, understand what uh, his now famous equation R is greater than G means. Uh, but if you study healthcare policy, you will almost never hear Piketty's research mentioned, which is quite odd, um, because we do, again, know uh, income inequality correlates to health inequity. Um, so, for example, if you read the widely read Health Affairs Journal uh, and search for Thomas Piketty, I think other than one brief mention, his work is never uh, examined or never uh, introduced into a health policy reform discussion. Hmm. That That is really amazing. And somewhere along the line in this discussion, if I don't go too much longer, um, it is quite amazing. And one of the reasons I actually started this podcast, uh, when you consider how narrow the conversation is relative to health policy reform, I started this to try to broaden or widen the conversation or include other subjects, related subjects. But your stereotypical policy discussion is just massively about reimbursement and here I'll cite, uh, mostly because her mother passed away recently, she noted in a recent editorial on that Elizabeth, uh, that's Elizabeth Rosenthal's first sentence in her uh, American Sickness book published a couple years ago. The American medical system has stopped focusing on health or even science. Instead, it attends more or less to single-mindedly to its own profits. Mm -hmm. So policy discussion is largely about reimbursement and what makes it worse, it's a tragedy of the commons discussion, meaning everyone fighting for their piece of the pie, or per the tragedy of the commons example, their portion of the of pasture land for their cows. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no conversation about the greater good or the common good. Uh, it's just uh, zero sum, uh, in a sense, everyone after uh, a larger, pursuing a larger piece of the pie. Um, and, it, and that crowds out a lot of... Um, conversations that aren't had. Okay, thank you. And you kind of covered another question, which was why you started the podcast. Um, so, yeah, thank you, because that really, that my, the comment I just made explains um, why I started it. I was motivated, to be honest, I was motivated to advance my own learning curve and, of mm -hmm. course, to use it as an excuse to talk with interesting people. Um but really, I'd say also, of course, is to try to broaden the conversation. And I hope I've done that, however imperfectly, or at least in part, over 200 interviews. I'm still after the um, sociologist or the social anthropologist who studies uh, the healthcare industry, amongst others. Someday I'll get to them. So that's, that's largely it. I will say when I looked into this in 2010, 2011, there are a few podcasts on healthcare policy. Fortunately, now there are a lot more. My view is the more the merrier. And in fact, any listener who wants to start their own, 
I'm happy to tell them what I know about how to do this. But that's largely, and I will say, I'm more focused on uh, the content. I, I could do a better job of social media broadcasting this, but fortunately I've stayed it long enough uh, that I think a good number of people are at least aware uh, that I'm at this. Um, if I didn't make note, I should, that the reason I spent a lot of time on the environment is, uh, of course, it's almost insane to say this, but we interact with the environment constantly. We're never not interacting with the environment. Right. Uh, important to note, but it is important, moreover, probably to note that according to reputable National Academy of Sciences, the environment accounts for 30% of premature mortality. So uh-huh. it's substantially responsible uh, for early death. Healthcare, interestingly enough, only accounts for 10%, to put in perspective. Uh, so my attention to the environment and the climate crisis, I think, is well-founded uh, for that reason, and of course because we are truly getting very close, if not, uh, and some portions of the world have arrived at tipping points where we have uncontrolled release of methane gas, much more powerful greenhouse gas. And it should be sobering that last November, of course, the 11,000 scientists from 153 nations said the Earth is facing today a climate emergency. That was published, that letter, in uh, Bioscience, but that, of course, went completely ignored. Um, but if we don't get on top of that subject, really everything else is, is ciphering. David, I want to go back to something you mentioned before about the Paris Agreement. Um, unless I'm mistaken, that's completely voluntary, right? I mean, there's no penalty for a country not meeting its self-set goals. That's correct. So by pulling out, we're basically just saying that we don't care. Well, the, correct. The, I mean, the there's, there's, there's no stick. Right. There's no stick for pulling out, uh, right. although we did make a commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is, is the ripple effect, which is it encourages, say, for example, Brazil uh, and other countries uh, not to take the problem seriously. So it provides license, particularly where supposedly or used to be the world leader in mo- mostly everything. Of course, you see that we're withdrawing, looks like possibly permanently from the World Health Organization. Um, so it has, it, it has adverse ripple effects. I will say too that you can't, despite the really significant, if not heroic efforts by what are termed subnationals. So these are corporations, local, state, um, city governments, uh, academic institutions, foundations, despite all those efforts in some, we just can't get there relative to the targets uh, we need to meet without the federal government playing an important role. Right. So you can't say, well, it doesn't matter, the subnationals will pick up. No. no, the federal government is necessary needed in certain instances, and this is one of them. Well, thank you, David. Um, I got to say, before working with you on the podcast, I had very little knowledge of how our healthcare system works. Uh, so I've learned a lot over the past few years, uh, and I appreciate the variety of topics that you cover. Um, but what have you learned after conducting more than 200 interviews over the past eight years? Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you. I'll try to be quick with this one. Um, a couple things. One, to be even possibly more sobering. For some odd reason, I remember the comment by Hendrik Hertzberg, who wrote for the New Yorker and other periodicals. Uh, and I forget, this was many years ago, he said, the ship of the New Republic 
sailed over the horizon in 1980. And, and that's pretty obvious what he was implying. And sadly, 40 years later, that's proving increasingly prescient or true. Um, you know, I made note of it really is questionable uh, whether we have, and I phrase it, um, more medical commerce than we have healthcare, and that was confirmed for me by doing all these interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are any number of reasons. We couldn't up until very recently, in, it was insanity, uh, research gun violence. Again, we don't have a long-term care policy. Medicare doesn't have oral health. We have God knows how many people without health care insurance today. It was pushing 30 million. Now it's probably at least 50 million. Um, because of course it's, you know, it's this vestige of World War II, this anachronism. It was a response to, uh, wage controls during World War II. And of course the way the industry on balance, uh, behaves. Um, of course, public health, we don't need to say anything relative to the, what we've experienced the last few months. So, um, it's, it's very challenging to make a, a genuine argument to the extent that we have a legitimate, uh, healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, for any number of additional reasons beyond those few. Uh, I, I will say, uh, as I noted, it's the tragedy that commons, uh, largely trained professional associations are after, you know, their piece of the pie. Right. S- sadly, and I will say to candidly in my business to be, uh, very clear, a lot of work is about, sadly, um, telling clients what they want to hear, because that's a hell of a lot easier than telling them what they should hear. So it's sadly too much about validation. Right. And to be honest, uh, this really begs the question whether we're subject knowledge experts or are we hairdressers. Um, you know, the Medicare program has its, its challenges, commercial insurance certainly as well. Uh, it's just very sobering, um, particularly on top of all its imperfections, as I mentioned over and again, uh, the climate issue. Lastly, just personal experience. I'm pretty certain it was after the Orlando shooting. And similarly, when it became known that, uh, children of a lesser God, to phrase it, were being separated at the border from their parents, um, mm-hmm. I solicited my policy colleagues. These are all senior health policy folks in D.C., probably a dozen or more, again, after the Orlando shooting, asking them, would they sign a letter to congressional leadership, really arguing no more than what had strong public opinion support, meaning universal background checks, et cetera, coming from, you know, 10, you know, long-term health policy folks, I didn't think it would make a difference, but I think at least we're on the record and we, right. you know, we didn't just turn a blind eye. And, right. and if it was 12 people, two, uh, agreed to sign the letter. Wow. So what, 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 you know, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I'll say it's, I'll be polite and say it's disappointing. Yeah. It's disappointing. Uh, wow. but, you know, I will say to the uh, folks that are in school listening to this, um, you really at some point, you have to decide, and this is the cliche line, you really have to decide whether you want to do your job or keep your job. And I'd certainly encourage you to do the former, try to do the former. If for nothing else, um, 
if doing your job means losing your job, uh, it's a good experience to have. You'll be a better person, stronger person uh, if you lose your job because you tried to do it. Uh, and you'll be able, much more able uh, to live with yourself. Uh, if for no other reason than if you're doing your job, let's hope, uh, as I like to say over and again, uh, what we really should be after is, of course, afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. So if that gets you fired, so be it. Move on. <laughs> and uh, You can live with yourself at least. Yeah, I mean, really. Thank you, David. Well, you mentioned students, and uh, maybe as a final question, we received several emails wondering what advice you might offer those interested in pursuing or furthering their career in healthcare policy. Okay, thank you. I'll try to be uh, quick with this. So I would say that I would hope, um, particularly if you're starting out, you're not too, if at all, focused on uh, or define your work by, to the extent possible, uh, income, uh, title, or tenure at an organization. Um, you know, my, I would say when I interview people, you know, I'm moreover interested in their just being, you know, candid or honest and not, and you could more or less tell when someone's trying to give you the answer they think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Particularly, were you know the, the, you know, there's a reciprocal relationship between policy and research, uh, and you can't do good policy unless you respect the research. I think ultimately, right. So, and research is what the research is. You may personally not like it. Um, that's irrelevant. So, try to maintain some fidelity to that reciprocal relationship, uh, and do your job as you see um, best, which is to say. Uh, do your job. Don't worry about keeping your job. I would say sometimes they come in conflict, if not more often than you'd like. And I'd say always err on the side of, of doing your job. If you should happen to get fired um, or there's there's some downside to that, I'd say long term, this is about your own development. So keep that first and foremost or primary. Always err on the side of doing uh, your job or as cite Martin Luther King, and the time is always ripe to do right. Right. And I think, particularly in D.C., certainly elsewhere, really the bottom line is your reputation. So if you're known as an honest broker, you demonstrate fidelity to the research, to the extent the research is clear, I think your career will take care of itself. If you compromise your reputation over time, that almost becomes a problem you can't get out from under or you can't defeat. And lastly, I would say, it's cliche, I realize, but... You know, probably best to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Of course, this is a serious subject, healthcare. This is about um, sickness, disease, illness, death. Um, not something we should take lightly. Everyone, in my view, deserves optimal care or should have the ability to achieve optimal health. We're far from that, so we should work towards that goal. To the extent that it correlates to career success or not, I'd, I'd put that at far distant seconds. So that's what I would say generally. Well, thank you, David. I think that covers all of the questions we have at this time. Thank you for having me on to ask them. And I want to remind everyone that you mentioned in part one that listeners with any additional follow-up questions should feel free to email them in. Yes, please do. And thank you, Joe, for taking your time and, and running me through this. Thanks a lot, David. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun and have a good evening. Take care. Bye. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. 
to comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.